So my words today are less a sermon or reflection, but more just kind of walking us through these verses and highlighting some questions that I had when I was reading through it and maybe providing a little bit of context um, as I thought about my questions in relation to this. And then we'll break out into little groups like we have before, kind of the folks that are kind of around you. And there are questions in the back, and those are kind of been the standard questions. But as Mark reminded us last week, um, we are not beholden to those. We can flex, and we can raise other questions that we might wish to raise, and answers that maybe we might wish to offer. But our passage here today, what a curious passage and one that highlights the translation that Mennonite Church USA, or this process, I'm not sure if it's just Mennonite Church USA, has chosen um, and how that gets illustrated here. But as we notice in this passage and throughout Luke, there is so much on traveling. It's a journey to Jerusalem. Not like a straight line to Jerusalem, the passages in Luke kind of meander back and forth, but there's so much travel language and geographical markers, and we see that in this passage here, right? At the very beginning of verse 31, we see a mention of going up to Jerusalem. In 35, came to Jericho. This movement, it's throughout Luke. And I think that raises the question for us about the journey that we are on with Jesus. Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything written about the human one by the prophets will be accomplished. Did that strike you as odd to hear human one? You maybe notice in the common English Bible they have got a little footnote, which... Pretty much all translations have footnotes because there's a lot of things that scholars are wondering about and not so sure. So maybe it's this, maybe it's that. And you'll see what they have done here with this one. Human one is how they've chosen to translate son of man. Now when you hear son of man, what does that mean to you? The common English Bible has made the decision that that language doesn't really make much sense to the readers today. And they made certain decisions about how they wanted to translate where a seventh grade reading level and they're wanting to reach people who aren't necessarily in the church all the time, who grew up with all the language. And in our time of day, son of man, what does that mean? Um, so they've chosen human one. Now, this is interesting because translation is messy. Uh, Jesus spoke probably Aramaic most of the time. The stuff that he did is in uh, Greek, common Greek, Koine Greek. We speak English. So how do we make sense of all this? And this phrase, son of man, which in the Greek, that's like literally what it means word for word, but does that give the idea that is meant to be communicated? And they've made the decision that it's really about talking about, I'm a human one. Now some scholars had said, well, is it a title, right? 
Others say, no, it's not. He's just saying, hey, I'm a human. Now, it's interesting. Jesus is the only one who uses this. No, no one else kind of says, hey, you're the son of man. Jesus is always saying, I'm the son of man. It's kind of interesting. There's one time in John's gospel where the crowd says, what about this son of man? And, and they're, in a sense, kind of parroting back what they've heard Jesus say of himself. But to those who have grown up in the church, who've heard scripture, to hear human one, it's a little bit jarring. And the common English Bible is rather courageous and maybe a little bit uh, being a little topsy-turvy. And it's not so much about inclusivity or some kind of political agenda. It's really about accuracy. What communicates the sense that Jesus says, I'm a human one. I may be the human one. There's also an allusion back to Old Testament Daniel, where this has more messianic overtones, that the Son of Man, or the human one, will come from heaven and bring salvation. So scholars have wondered that maybe connection. But it might be jarring to hear human one. And this raises interesting questions about the tough work of translation. I might add one more thing about the human one. Jesus often uses it in connection with the human experiences of humiliation, of betrayal, of suffering, of death. And that's mentioned here. I mean, this is the third time that Jesus has said this. The other two happen in Luke 9. And in each of those instances, the disciples don't get it. Why is that? Why is it hidden? Is it something about them? Is it something about God wanting it to be hidden in some way, shape, or form at this point? We then come to 35. Again, this travel language, Jesus came to Jericho. And a certain blind man was sitting beside the road begging. Now, it can't be emphasized enough how low this person would have been on the social ladder, just low. Like, does his existence even matter that low? I love the way it's depicted here because you just get this image of this person who's been cast aside, marginalized. But he hears something and he wonders what's going on. Jesus, the Nazarene, is passing by. And then he shouted, Jesus, son of David, show me mercy. Verse 39, those leading the procession, or in the NRSV, I think it says, the people in front. And they're telling him, quiet. Get away. Shoo, shoo. You're not wanted here. And what does he do? He shouts louder. 
And Jesus hears. And Jesus stops and calls for the man. And what does Jesus do? He asks him a question. What do you want me to do? I mean, isn't it clear? Can't I just assume what you want? No, tell me, what is it that you want? And he wants to see. We read Luke 4, right, where Jesus saying, this is what I'm bringing in my kingdom, sight to the blind. And we see that here, clear, direct. Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Isn't it interesting how the people who were leading the way the people out front who seemed like, hey, we know who this cool guy is. And yet they were blind to who Jesus was all about. And it was the blind man, the person on the lowest stratosphere of existence, he saw clearly who Jesus was. This language of son of David, clear messianic imagery in the line of David, King David, who God said, your kingdom's going to be forever. And Jesus says, I'm in that line. That's who I am. The blind man knew that. And then this language of Lord, this is a language of, you're a benefactor. Like, you're the one who provides for me. You're the one who I need. The blind man has deep insight, deep understanding of who Jesus is. And you think about what would have happened to him, right? He, he, he would have gotten his, his sight. He got his sight. Like everything would have been reversed. And it would be fascinating to think about what would have happened with his family and with his community. The passage says he followed Jesus. What that looked like in terms of his community, I'm not sure exactly, but he followed Jesus. And what does the crowd then do? They praise God. And I was so struck by that. How easy it might have been to praise something else or someone else. And, and we, we have... We live in the confession, the story that Jesus is God. Did they all know that at that point? Doesn't seem to be that clear. So why didn't they praise Jesus? Why was their focus on God? I believe that's such a powerful invitation for us. Are we quick to praise God or someone else? or so? Can we say... Praise God, not as some kind of flip it, but as genuine acknowledgement of God being the source of this gift. 